0: Well, I'd like to begin today by talking about a 60-year-old technology. It's known as the microwave. Does anyone here own a microwave? Do very few people, we have one person that owns it. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, good, because It's a 60-year-old technology, and I hope you've used it before. Uh, we recently got rid of our microwave, and we now have an air fryer slash convection oven microwave, and it's been taking uh, a little bit of time for me to learn how to cook things, and some of those things are overcooked and very blackened, and then some of them are undercooked. Well, the illustration I want to bring to you today is, have you ever cooked like a frozen burrito or frozen piece of food in the microwave? All right, yes. Thank you for admitting that you don't eat farm fresh every day. Um, so the, the, have you ever mistimed a frozen burrito in the microwave? If you're willing to admit, yes. And you know the issue is when you miss time and you're like, oh, this is going to be so good. And then you go do something else. You know, you go back to your watching, scrolling on TikTok. No, you go back to your Bible app, which is where you spend all of your time when you're waiting for frozen burritos. And then the, the, the thing goes off, you know, the, what's it called? The beep. Uh, and you open up the microwave and you're like, this is, and you're like, oh my God, it's so hot. And it's scolding hot on the outside, but you've undercooked it and you take a bite and it's frozen in the middle. Do you, know the, do you know the scenario I'm talking about? It's the saddest thing for your mouth and your teeth, and like, man, don't I know, didn't I? And then you dig the package out of the trash, and you're trying to figure it all out. Um, it's scalding hot on the outside, but it's frozen in the middle. You know, an undercooked frozen burrito often is what my college professors used to say about my papers in college. They're like scolding hot on the outside, but at the end of the day, there's not a strong argument in there. That's a C minus. (sighs) Once you start reading, it's not so good. It's a little frozen in the middle. Well, we've been doing a series called Disciple, and we're trying to understand from the life and words of Jesus what it means to be a disciple of Jesus There's a lot of ideas and a lot of opinions about what it means to be a Christian or a Jesus follower. But what does Jesus say about being one of his followers? And what Jesus shows us is that a lot of people live their lives like undercooked frozen burritos. In the one sense, they're hot on the outside. They're scolding on the outside. They're keeping up appearances. But on the inside, there's something wrong. By all appearances, everything is fine but inside that there's something wrong. People work so hard to keep up the appearances in their life, but inside maybe they're not doing so well. How many people do we know that just try to do everything right? We try to live good lives. I mean, obviously, you're here in this weird room. It's Sunday morning. You're trying to do something right with God. You're trying to save for retirement. You're trying to do good at your job. You're trying to do all those things. But sometimes, everyone, sometimes when people are doing things right on the outside, there's still something wrong inside. There's still something wrong at the heart level. Now, the good news, the good news is that Jesus sees you and me as we really are, right now. Like, even even right now, and I know some of you have come into this room and you need to be in touch with God today for whatever it is you're going through. I want to say to you that God sees you. He sees you right where you are. And some of you have some big opportunities and big challenges that are ahead, and God sees those too. And so we've got some good news for you today. Because Jesus... Jesus frees us from the burdens that we don't have to carry. He frees us from the burdens that we don't have to carry. And that connects with living the more authentic life, that who we are on the outside is reflected on the inside. And uh, the way he teaches this, Jesus teaches this, is that he focuses on one of the biggest burdens that was happening during his lifetime. He focused on how sometimes Religious people created too much pressure for the everyday person back in the ancient days. And let's talk about that. So look what he says. We're going to look in Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. It says this, and then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces And to have people call them rabbi. Jesus says here, he says, uh, yeah, he says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Do what the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do. But maybe you don't know what a Pharisee is. What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a religious person, It was a religious person, and it meant that you were passionate. You were a passionate person about God. You had fervor. You had all the exciting things about God. You brought that into your relationship with God, or the religion part of your relationship with God, and it meant you were the best of the best. And what made you a Pharisee was your hard work. You had to work hard for it. You had to work hard to be good. You had to put in a lot of time, and you had to put in a lot of energy to become one and so what consequently Pharisees believed that they were the closest to God that they were doing better than you and they believed that they belonged in their community and they belonged to the best spots in their community they said that at the the banquet table the place of honor in the banquet table they believed that they were supposed to be where they were and their community would accept them if they showed everybody that they believed all the right things that they behaved in all the right ways and if they served others well. And so they believed also that because they were doing as best they can, they were trying their hardest, they also believed that they had the ability to bring about change in the culture. That the Pharisees might say, we are the change we want to see in the world. We don't just talk about it, we be about it. We're about that life, and we're going to model it for the rest of the the Jewish community. And so consequently to that, Pharisees were sort of known for their call-out culture. They were known for calling out the sins and the issues that they saw in the culture, because if everyone just came along with them and did what they did, and everyone did as, as, as they led them to do, the culture would be better. And so they would call out injustices, and they would call out immorality in people, and they would create purity tests for the people to make sure that they were coming along with them. Because if they followed them, then they could preserve their positions of power, but also they could bring about the change in the world that they wanted to see. And you would think for a second, you might stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, Pharisees sound great. If they're calling out injustice, if they're naming out all these different kinds of issues, and they're naming systems of oppression, they're just not talking about. It, they're being about. It. They're eating clean. <laughs> they're obviously right. They're kosher. They're kosher following uh, Jews, so they're eating clean. They're buying ethical products at the marketplace. They're standing up and calling out problems of their day, and they're trying to lead people to believe a better life. So what's the problem with that? Well, Jesus did have a problem with it. Because you can do everything right on the outside, but your heart can still be far from God. You can cook the burrito a little bit and be spicy and hot on the outside, but frozen in the middle. So Jesus warns his listeners. Look what he says. He says, you must must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they preach. So here's the irony. So you got, he's like, if they're talking about God, guys, listen to them because they're trying to tell you about God. Like, listen to what they say have to say about God, okay? So don't just like write them off entirely. Listen to what they have to say. You're gonna listen to their words. But you need to weigh what they're telling you. You need to weigh what you're being told because. Even when it comes to their own standards, they're not living up to their own standards. They don't practice what they preach. We have an American word for this. What is that word? Hypocrite. That's right. And that's actually, um, it's an English word. I said American word. Ha (laughs) ha 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 ha. I don't know why I'm so mad at myself there. Anyway, but that comes from a Greek word, hypocrites. But you didn't come to this church to hear me speak Greek. Um, And so yeah, there's the word hypocrite. He's calling them out. But he goes on. Later on in this chapter, in chapter 23, Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Doesn't hold back. Jesus says that on the outside, to everybody else, y'all look great, y'all look clean, y'all look close to God, but on the inside, you're as dead as a dead person. You're dead. That's how dead your relationship with God is. It's dead dead, not coming back dead. And his point is just because you look good on the outside, it may not reflect the condition of your heart. My wife and I know a woman um, who had a serious uh, cancer diagnosis here in Los Angeles. And the problem was, is that she was a follower of Jesus. That part's not the problem. That part, that's the good part. Uh, The problem was, as a follower of Jesus, she had prayed to be healed from this cancer and her particular belief about healing was when you pray for it, you need to demonstrate and believe that you're healed in order to receive the healing, okay? She had to sort of name and claim the promise that God says if you pray for healing, you're healed, and you just have to believe it. And if you show any doubt in that, then it shows that you don't have the faith and you might not be healed. Now, the problem with that. The problem with that is that she was believing on some level that she did not have cancer. She was believing that she had been healed from cancer but every time she would go to an appointment regarding her cancer, her cancer was still present. And she got to the point where she would, she would say that like she was healed and she says, well, there's one opinion from the doctor, that one opinion that she was downplaying was that the cancer was growing. The cancer was growing in her life, and she couldn't, and it wasn't going away. But holistically, because of her her theological uh, misunderstanding of how healing works, holistically she could not even admit that the cancer was growing because she needed to name and claim that she had been healed. And so, what she did, uh, and we knew her, what she did, she she conducted herself as if she was healed. Now, just as a side, you need to know that like, we've actually seen people healed from cancer. One of our friend's parents has been healed. Uh, he's the first person in history to be healed from this particular uh, brain cancer. Uh, he was supposed to die like six years ago, he, and he's not dead. And the, they, they, the doctors cannot figure out. So we've seen people healed from the worst things, and we've seen people healed from the most minor injuries as well. And believe me, we prayed for Nikki's cat, uh, broken arm, and um, I don't know why it didn't happen. Anyway, didn't have enough faith. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we didn't. We don't know. Why. We don't know why sometimes God chooses to heal, and we don't know why He chooses not to heal. We do know that He does heal, and there's more coincidences. With the miraculous when we pray more and I'm way off script but I want to let you know if you are to take more risks in your life and pray for people for supernatural things you will see more coincidences you need to hear that you need to hear that and so back to the back to the story we believe that God heals and we were praying for healing for this woman and she was conducting herself like she was healed but she wasn't actually healed because on a certain level She refused to acknowledge that the science was showing her that she wasn't healed. This is unfortunate. The last we checked, like, it's grim. It's grim for this person. No chemo, no nothing, just fresh fruit juices and prayer. There's a lot we could say about that. I'm going to stop that, but I think the illustration still stands. It can be the same with our own lives. You can look good on the outside, but inside you can be dying. You can have a cancerous life. It's possible to not just deceive others. It's also possible to deceive yourself. Listen, I know how to deceive myself or actually I don't know how I deceive myself because that's why I'm deceiving myself. Like we are tricky people. We play games to get what we want, to say what we want and to think what we want, to build the little things, to win the games that we think of the things that will make us satisfied and happy in life. We can not just deceive others, we can create a layer where it looks like a hot burrito even in our own lives, but it is not. And Jesus is trying to motivate his audience. He's saying, you have to understand that what's happening out here is not important. It's on what happens on the inside of you, the thing that nobody can see. That's the thing that actually matters. We can look good, but we can be dying inside. In fact, if left, we leave it untreated, we can make matters worse. It can kill us. So you have to be careful. Just because you think you're right, Just because you think that you're projecting that you're right and just because you may have other people fooled around you doesn't mean that you're doing okay. It doesn't mean you're actually okay. Now, I'd like to take a minute and point out that it's not only possible for us to act like a religious Pharisee. It's also possible to be a couple other things. And I think this is really important for us because we don't live in a uh, theistic culture. Meaning, like, like, the church doesn't run America, right? I mean, they might unofficially run America, but, like, we're not, like, it's not a theocracy, okay? So we are not run by, like, you know, the Presbyterians or anything like that. Um, and so it's possible for these other types of Pharisaical behavior to emerge that we should be cautious of. And the first one is a secular Pharisee. You can be a religious Pharisee, but you can also be a secular Pharisee. And the third type of Pharisee that I think is out there is you can be an anti-Pharisee Pharisee. All right? I'll explain that one in a minute. What is a secular Pharisee? Well, you have to compare a secular Pharisee against a religious Pharisee. The religious Pharisee, which we just talked about, they look at God's standard or what they think is God's standard, their interpretation of God's standard, to try to determine who is following the rules and who is not following the rules, and then they try to project that to the outside world and make everyone follow the religious rules as they seem, right? That's the religious Pharisee. That's what we just established. I don't want to have to repeat that. So, But uh, it is possible to not just be a religious Pharisee, but a secular Pharisee. You can be a non-religious Pharisee that projects the successful life, and in the process, you can create a lot of rules, and you can create a lot of ideas that you want other people to follow. And it can have nothing to do with religion. It can have nothing to do with our faith and you can put a lot of rules on other people and so can I. Just think of West Los Angeles. The main topic isn't what does the Bible say about your choices, but there are a lot of written and unwritten rules in our culture. Um, At the beginning of the school year, our daughter, uh, the parents all get together, and they go, let's meet at the person who has the biggest house in Santa Monica, and we're like, cool, we live in 750 square feet, let's go there, and so we go there, and we put, like, we, like, look at the, our out like, how's, that, how's my outfit look, and okay, we look, at your zipper up, and then we go inside, we go inside, and we're hanging out with all the other parents who are in Marin's class, the, uh, the, uh, all the, yeah, so it's Marin, and it's all a bunch of adults. It's a very strange school. We're thinking about changing schools. No, just kidding. So it's all the other parents uh, who have children in Marin's class, all right, and we're hanging out there, and it's a bit of a meet-and-greet. And then there's some guys, there's the, some families have sent well, a designated single one parent to hang out and there's the wine in the corner and then there's the people that don't want to associate and there's people that are really hungry and then there's other people that haven't been out and talked to anyone in like six months and so they're expressing themselves in a deep deep way over grapes from Costco and so we're doing this meet and greet and we're talking to this woman she's an Israeli woman And she's, um, we're sitting at the table and we're eating California Chicken Cafe and sipping uh, white wine uh, around this kitchen table. And there's about like, you know, 30 plus people in the room. And um, she starts to whisper, she's been in the States for a few years, she starts to whisper about how different United States culture is compared to the culture from which she came. And she lays out in a very, like, kind of like testing Nikki and me to see how we would respond. She throws out this little gem where she says she doesn't really understand. They just don't have this conversation around gender identity and the transgender conversation. How uh, it's so different here than where I came from. Uh, talking about this transgender thing, and she's kind of fishing to see how we'll respond, and we're not gonna give anything up, not in that room, and why not, um, but, she, but when she was doing it, she's whispering, and she's looking around to see if it's okay if she even mentions, like it's so different, you have to learn to be open, and all these things, she's whispering, and what is she doing there? Well, if you come across a certain way in West Los Angeles on the transgender conversation, you could easily be uh, considered an outcast. You could easily be uh, ridiculed or put aside. And so what is she trying to do? She's trying to avoid causing a problem, a scene at a dinner party. She's trying to avoid people talking uh, bad about her or cutting her out from relationships. She's just trying to fit in because she recognizes that there's rules about who's in and who's out around many social and cultural things. And yeah, one of the things that you and I need to do, is that we need to make sure whatever we believe about anything, and whatever people are believing out there about anything, we need to be careful that we're not a Pharisee for God, because that puts pressure on people to try to figure out their relationship with God. It puts unnecessary pressure on them to try to figure out that God never intended us to put. It. But it's also possible we need, and we need to make sure that we're not being coming a Pharisee and putting other things on other people that maybe not might be from God altogether. You see, it's very possible. Uh, that you could feel like a Pharisee or you could be a Pharisee for your personal cultural values. You can be a Pharisee for fitness, health and fitness, and for your diet. You can be a Pharisee uh, for your politics. It's quite possible to project what you think about things and create a cultural temperature that really puts an unnecessary pressure on people. So that's a non-religious Pharisee. What is an anti-Pharisee Pharisee? I think I'm the only one to ever say this, probably because it sounds weird, but anti-Pharisee Pharisee is a person that's so against religious Pharisees that they become some sort of reactionary Pharisee for religious Pharisees. Are we clear? This is the reactionary person. And this is the person who tends to belittle or demean Christians because how they perceive all Christians to be. And generally their perceptions are based on their past personal experiences. And they say things like, I was hurt by the church. Or the church hurt this group of people. They had a hurtful experience with a religious leader. And now, and just as a side, uh, if, in case you haven't figured this out by this stage in your life, churches hurt people all the time. All the time. <coughs> and the reason they hurt people is because they're full of people. Churches are full of people. And those people all have a problem with sin. And people hurt other people. And so if you've experienced hurt at the hands of an individual in the church, that is valid and acceptable. And if you were hurt by a person in church, a leader or somebody like that, I want to personally say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you experienced that. But the anti-Pharisee Pharisee -pharisee is something different. Because the anti-Pharisee Pharisee is a person that is so passionate about rejecting and deconstructing orthodox norms that they end up creating a new set of rules and a new set of regulations that people should follow. And so without realizing it, they're setting up new rules about who's in and who's out. And it's so ironic because they're actually doing the same thing that the religious person is doing, but they're doing it as a reaction to the religious person. Let me give you an illustration. Um, Our culture right now celebrates voicing your opinion. Um, Yeah, and especially if your opinion is contrary to the prevailing opinion of a a certain topic. And uh, say for instance, many Christians and many Christian churches feel the pressure to join up with the crowd when it comes to pursuing justice, all right? I'm going to talk about justice. Now, should Christians pursue justice in the world? Absolutely, and the reason we should pursue justice in the world is because Jesus pursued justice in the world, and Jesus showed us that Justice was so important that he was willing to lay down his life for you and me in order to meet the demands of justice because of our sin. So the reason you and I, as Jesus followers, take justice seriously is because Jesus took it seriously. He took it so seriously that he was willing to die for us. Now, but we have to be careful because anytime Christians move beyond what Jesus has for us when it comes to seeking justice, when we move into the realm of dismantling or disrupting the thinking or disrupting the system, anytime Christians might believe that they are called to, uh, to be violent or to uh, protest in a way that demeans others. by dismantling systems of injustice. Anytime we're called to bring down those types of oppression, uh, anytime we attempt to tear down the status quo, but we do it in a way that demands a new set of rules for everybody else, a new status quo, a new set of rules to live by, a new purity test, this can actually devolve quickly into calling people out. It can actually devolve into its very own, the very kind of cancel culture that we see today. Now, I can't spell it all out for you because I'm running out of time, but you can see the similarities. You can see the similarities between the call-out culture of today that's happening all around us, Around this is the kind of person you need to be, and if you're not for us, you're against us, kind of mentality, and the similarities of the call-out culture of the Pharisees in this uh, that Jesus talks about here. We need to be careful. Some might respond though, some might respond and they might say, Well, it's different now. This is about right and wrong. This is about life and death. These ancient people didn't know. They don't know what we know. We're so much further ahead than they are. We have we have to call it out. We have to fight. Well, first of all, um, we need to be careful that um, this reeks of a certain kind of cultural superiority. We need to make sure that we don't look on ancient people as superior. We're not superior to them. But secondly, listen, this is not different. The ancient Pharisees did the exact same thing. They called people out for the things they thought were unjust. And we need to be careful as we seek justice, which we should, that we don't participate in calling out people in the same way a Pharisee would call out people. Because why? Because Jesus warns us this can be the thing that can prevent someone from coming to know him. And we don't want to do that. So in our pursuit of justice, we need to avoid becoming the thing that uh, the Pharisees were. Um, Every single one of us. Every single one of us, all of us, all of us should develop the habit of recognizing burdensome religion and rejecting it. We should develop the habit in our own lives so we can keep ourselves from putting any kind of heavy rules and regulations on ourselves and any kind of heavy rules and regulations that Jesus never intended for people to carry. Whether those rules were religious or not, we should get exhausted by the very notion of having to carry around a heavy burden. Whether it's the Christian religion, whether it's the secular religion of the day, we should almost like get bored when, when, when we feel, when we, when, if we find ourselves trying to make others carry a burden. And if you're not tired now of trying to live up, and to enforce your personal rules, or if you're not tired yet of living up to the rules and standards that reek of religion, at some point you will be. Maintaining appearances is exhausting. Rules aren't meant to maintain your inner passion. Rules aren't exciting. Rules aren't the relationship. And rules are not what Jesus came to give us. Jesus came to set you and me free from religion. Free from the religion of our day and free from the religion around like the whole Christianity thing. He came to tear off the heavy burdens that we carry. He came to free us from having to pretend that we are something when we are not. Just look just look what Jesus says in a different part of his story in Matthew, in Matthew 11. And this is the message version. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound like your relationship with God? Does that sound like your relationship with the universe? And it's kind of funny because he says, you know, you're going to live freely and lightly. Here, walk with me and then you'll find real rest. But in other passages, he's like, take up your cross and follow me. (laughs) Like all of his disciples had to go do that. They all died terrible deaths, except for John. He got to take care of Jesus' mom. But everyone else died this terrible death. So like there's this thing, but what's he getting at here? There's something inside of us. There's something emotional. There's something mental that Jesus is after. Like, you might lose your life, like your physical life, when you follow Jesus. There might be hard times that require sacrifice that you weren't really signed up, that you didn't really sign up for. I mean, that's just part of the walk. He's after that mental, emotional, heavy burden that we carry. And he's also after some other things. But are you carrying a heavy burden? You see... We don't have to miss what really matters. We need to remember here in these passages that Jesus says that we're saved by grace. We must remember that it's in the cross we find our hope. And we are called to live as light and love and examples of grace. And the Bible says that we've all fallen short. Uh, We've all fallen short of perfection. And we know we're not perfect. So why pretend Why fake it? So as we go from this place, I want us to consider, commit commit to getting exhausted by the thought of the rules. And let's instead be followers who are identified by God's unmerited favor. Let's rest in the rest that he has for us. And let's be people who are authentic and real with God and real in our relationships with others. Will you all stand with me, please? We're gonna worship uh, one more time. And as we do, um, I don't know exactly what you bring here today, but I'm inviting every single person here um, to be open to giving up any of the rules. Uh, or any of a surrender any of the rules that God has not given you to live by or the rules that you have set up for yourself. And it could be a timeline for something that you want to have happen. It could be anxiety around the way people want you to live or to be. But I want you to be able free over the course of the next song to be able to pray. And, and I want to pray for you that God would relieve you from the things that you aren't meant to carry so that you could go out from here uh, ready and able to live as God has, uh, all the things that God has for you. So um, let me pray for you. If, if that, you know, um, you can stay in your seat, don't come forward, but like, uh, let's, let me pray for you. Um, so God, I, I ask God, and every single person here, if there's uh, something like a pressure uh, to perform or to live up to something, that you do not intend for them to live, I ask God that they would give that to you, that they would surrender it to you, that you would come to them and that you would make their burden light, that they wouldn't carry the things that they're not supposed to carry,